Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant dub. They even have great same-game parlays. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball, only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great night. In case you missed it earlier, don't forget that we did a breakdown of last night's in-season tournament games as well as Knicks Bucks. Those are in two separate videos earlier on the feed. Tonight, we're just hitting Suns Lakers. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements, as well as the film threads that I do every morning. And then last but not least, keep dropping YouTube comments, mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can hit them later on throughout the week. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, highly entertaining game. Lakers beat the Suns 106-103. They are going to Vegas to play the Pelicans on 
Thursday. Now, tons of interesting basketball to get into from this game, but unfortunately we have to start with officiating because there was an atrocious call at the end of this game that robbed the Suns of an opportunity to potentially send the game to overtime. It was 105-103 off of, I believe, a Devin Booker left-handed layup on the left side of the rim. LeBron inbounds to Austin Reeves. Austin flops to try to draw a foul, doesn't get the foul call, loses control of the basketball in the process. LeBron calls a timeout. And it gets granted. It absolutely should not have. It was a terrible call. It stole, in my opinion, an opportunity for the Suns to potentially send the game to overtime. That said, judging by the half-court dynamic and the simple fact that even if they had scored a layup in that chaos and the Lakers had not been granted a timeout, they still would have had to get a stop on the other end and then they would have had to beat the Lakers in overtime. Now, the half-court dynamic we saw down the stretch of that game was the Lakers blitzing uh, uh, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and rotating out of it, and they were having a hell of a time getting any good shots, which has been a consistent problem for them throughout the season, which we're going to talk about. On the other end of the floor, just like in the first two games, LeBron James was relentlessly attacking Yusuf Nurkic in pick and roll and getting great shots. In the fourth quarter alone, Anthony Davis missed five layups at the basket. So, like, I tend to believe you play that game from that point with the correct call. Ten times, Lakers are probably winning it seven or eight times. That said, there's no question that the officials made a huge mistake. It was a it, it, it ruined what was a great basketball game, and I understand why Suns fans are upset because you should have had your shot. You should have had your chance to potentially reverse the fortunes of what was taking place on the court down the stretch and to get that win. It was super unfortunate. Don't know what else to say. That said, this is a thing that happens in basketball games. And, you know, the Lakers were on the other side of this once a year ago. You guys might remember there was a big game, Lakers in Boston against the Celtics. Tie game, final possession. LeBron gets downhill. He is at the rim with his left hand, at the rim, like a 100% shot. And Tatum hacks him on the left arm right in front of the official. No call. Game goes to overtime. The Lakers lose. Pat Beverly literally grabbed the camera and held it in front of the official. Held it in front of the official and was like, what's the deal, dude? Like, it was that that clear. But, here, but here's the thing. Did the Lakers get a win out of it? No. Did they get anything out of it? No. Because at the end of the day, as a basketball team, and I can only think of this from my perspective. I coach high school basketball right now. I played back when I was younger. Inside the locker room, the attitude is pretty simple. You got to focus on what you can control. I'm a big believer that focusing on officiating is a loser mentality. You guys, all of you guys who listen to this show know that I never, ever complain about officiating for any team in a big picture conspiracy sense. The only time I ever talk about officiating is when it pertains to league-wide trends and specific types of fouls that I'd like to see removed from the league. And the main reason why I feel that way is simply because as a basketball team, you if you focus on the officials, it's just, it, it's just a, a fruitless endeavor. You have to focus on what you can control. You have to try to, over 48 minutes, build in enough margin for error that you can put up with a bad call. For instance, from the Lakers' perspective, I think a lot of Lakers fans feel that Anthony Davis was getting fouled on some of those layups. Now, I didn't feel that way. I thought it was kind of playoff-style officiating where you just kind of let everything go, and I prefer the game of basketball like that, but that's how a lot of Lakers fans felt, right? And again, 
the Lakers played well enough that they were able to weather a bunch of Anthony Davis missed layups that may or may not have been fouls because they were the better half-court team down the stretch of that game. And they, by the way, this is not a trend that, this is not a, uh, a, any sort of depart, uh, like, um, it's, not a, it's not anything different than the trends we've seen from both teams this season. The Lakers have been an excellent clutch time team. The Suns have been a horrific fourth quarter team. It's been a consistent issue all year long. So again, I, it's really unfortunate because that call is going to dominate the TV show and it's going to dominate a lot of the analysis. And that's unfortunate because there was a lot of really interesting basketball that took place in this game. But that, that's all I'm going to say about it. The Suns got robbed. They should have had a chance to potentially send that game to overtime where they could have won. That said, I believe the Lakers would have won regardless of what happened. I thought they outplayed the Suns for the most part. I thought they deserved to win the game. All right, let's get into some of the basketball stuff. So I want to hit on uh, LeBron James again because this is ridiculous. Because once again, huge game. Single elimination, big-time playoff vibes, three other legit superstars in their prime on the floor. And I thought LeBron was the best player. And once again, it came down to that chess match in the half court, and LeBron just started attacking Yusuf Nurkic in pick and roll, getting downhill and finishing at the rim. Once again, he's just trusting his pull-up jump shot in these big moments. He took a big transition three there in the middle of the fourth quarter. He took a mid-range pull-up jump shot in pick and roll down the stretch in crunch time. And that, to me, is just such a huge indicator of a trend that was not the case last year, which is crunch time offense for the Lakers when LeBron can actually trust his jump shot and just in general is more confident and, and capable creating shots, it just makes the Lakers a more dynamic team. That was a specific thing they struggled with a lot last year. I think that's encouraging. But the big thing that stood out to me from LeBron in this game was the job he did defensively. He had five steals, which is blowing plays up as a low man. And, and again, like... We talk about this position archetype all the time, right? The Aaron Gordon archetype with like guys like uh, DeAndre Hunter and, and Rui Hachimura and like and Laurie Markkinen's and a, a big version of that, right? There's a bunch of these guys around the league, these big forwards, and we kind of don't remember the stars when we talk about that. And like, like LeBron's the star version of that. And so, as a role player. Uh, meaning like within his role of the defense as the low man, he can be really impactful there. And he was excellent on the defensive end in this game. I think in general, he really wants to win this tournament. I think he'd like to be the guy who wins the first NBA cup. I think it's good for the NBA cup because if this NBA cup is ever going to become what the league wants it to be, what Adam Silver wants it to be, it needs to be something the players really want to win. And LeBron is a, is one of the best competitors of this era. And I, I think it's great to see guys like him, guys like Giannis who brought it today, guys like Dame who brought it, Tyrese Halliburton. You want the establishment superstars of the league to want to win this award. And, and I think that was a, a really strong indicator. But just, again, to, I, I've said to uh, everybody on this show so many times this year that I was re uh, not really overly concerned about the Lakers' regular season issues because they were down most of their forwards. Hey, look at how much more athletic they look today with all their forwards. They had 20-something offensive rebounds, right? And they were significantly better defensively. And what did I say? I said, the encouraging thing to me is despite all of that, LeBron looks better than he did at any point last season. I genuinely uh, believe that. And to me, that's a huge indicator of a potential upside for this team in the big picture. Shout out to LeBron. It's just, it's ridiculous now that in December of 2023, we are still watching him put forward these types of performances with these kinds of stakes. Austin Reeves. So I did a mailbag question about this the other day, 
And a lot of, you know, Austin had some struggles this year. And he, but by the way, he's had some struggles this year. It's really, it's really that simple. He's, he's earned some of the criticism that's been directed to him this year. My stance the entire time has been for 50 plus games in all high leverage situations. He was awesome. So let's not overreact to a small sample size of pointless regular season games where he plays poorly, at least relative, because the reality is he hasn't been that bad, but poorly relative to what he used to be. And in a situation where the Lakers were down most of their wing athleticism, which made everybody's job a lot harder. And so all I kept saying was just stick with them. And here we are once again, big game, playoff vibes, another 20-point game from Austin Reeves, hits the dagger pull-up three on the right wing. His offensive burst in the third quarter flat out saved them from that Suns run that damn near took the game over there to start the third quarter. Austin's incredible. And like and, and I just it bums me out, honestly, that that fans have such a short memory uh, of all the things he's done to contribute to winning to this team in big game situations and how that just gets glossed over. It's it, it just, we, we get a little too much on the what have you done for me lately side of things. One last note on the Austin Reeves things before, thing before we moved on. I've had a lot of people ask, Jason, why don't you like D'Angelo Russell? Why are you so insistent on the Lakers trading D'Angelo Russell. It has nothing to do with D'Angelo Russell as a person. I don't dislike him. Even as a player, I don't dislike him. I would even argue if you had to give the keys to the offense to one player to kind of run the show in that specific job, D'Lo's better than Austin. But in so many other areas of the game, Austin is better and Austin can do a lot of what D'Lo does. And so because of that, and the long-term roster control under the new deal that he's on, it just makes more sense. And then this is the big problem. Every Lakers fan was frustrated with Darvin Ham going back to Torian Prince down the stretch of this game. And I would tell you, if Austin's your one and LeBron's your four and your five, there aren't really good answers for that two and three. Like, if I had to choose right now, I'd probably go Max Christie and Rui Hachimura. But like, Rui's not a great screen navigator. KD's probably going to run him off screens, and you're going to end up in some situations where you're going to have to switch, which could cause cross matches on the other side that could cause problems. Not sure that's a great fit. Max is super young. Cam Reddish and Jared Vanderbilt have offensive limitations. Torian Prince is not a great athlete. All the answers there are limited. And so when you have a situation where Austin, LeBron, and AD make perfect sense, but the two and the three, it's like, I don't know. Who do you play? And then we have to leave D'Lo on the bench because we can't play him alongside Austin. We crater defensively and on the glass. Then uh, Rui Hachimura as just another big forward that's kind of more or less the same position as LeBron, he's on the bench. That's the problem. Th- your five best players are Austin, D'Lo, Rui, LeBron, AD. To start games and to close games, you can only play three of them. So it has nothing to do with me disliking D'Angelo Russell. It has nothing to do with any sort of like, like, like narrative-based attack of D'Angelo Russell. It is a simple matter of roster balance. I believe Austin's better. I know some of you guys disagree. I, I feel very strongly that Austin's a better player, and I think the playoffs last year clearly demonstrated that as he was reliably in the rotation, and D'Angelo Russell was very matchup-dependent and got played off the floor against Denver, right? But I believe Austin's better. So you kind of have to pick one of them. And then you've got non-perfect answers for the two and the three. And so in my opinion, it's imperative for the Lakers to convert those two contracts, Rui and D'Lo, 
if the right trade materializes for a starter caliber two or three that answers the questions that Max Christie, Cam Reddish, Jared Vanderbilt, Torian Prince, and Rui Hachimura can't perfectly answer. It's really that simple to me. If you could just, even if you could keep Rui and just turn D'Angelo Russell into a higher level 3 and D wing, even if you have to attach a pick to him, now it makes more sense because that person becomes one of your top five players, right? You're trading D'Angelo Russell, one of your top five players, for a different top five player. But now of those top five players, at least four of them are obvious answers to your starting and closing lineups. And it just answers those questions for you. Then the question becomes, do you go after something? Like, is Torian Prince better at the two? Is it Max Christie at the two? Well, what about Cam Reddish? You can figure that part out. One question mark is, is a little easier to deal with than two gaping question marks that you just don't know what to do with those positions. And like, like this game was very revealing to me about the Lakers on two levels. One, within the context of the regular season, it is so important for them to have their high-motor athletes. They look so much better with Cam Reddish, with Jared Vanderbilt, with Rui Hachimura available. Those guys were not available on that last road trip. When they got ran off the floor by the Thunder and they got ran off the floor by the Sixers, those dudes weren't playing. It was a less athletic version of this team. So within the context of the regular season, those guys are super important. But the second piece that clear that like that became very clear to uh, to me tonight is that the Lakers need clear answers to the two and the three, and they don't have that. There is a roster imbalance here. D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura cannot play at the end of games, and you're catering to D'Angelo Russell right now by allowing him to start and bringing Austin off the bench. But in the big picture, it doesn't make sense to have that much of your salary cap resources delegated to two players that can't share the floor together. And so that I want to be clear because a lot of people, I, I understand, and this is my fault. I have not done a good enough job of, of making this point clear. I do not dislike D'Angelo Russell. I just simply think Austin's better and that for the sake of this team, if you want this team to reach their ceiling, you need to make sure that as many of, of as much of your top-end talent as possible is playable together. And, and you, you hamper yourself when you maintain a roster imbalance like this, where now it's like, man, D'Angelo Russell, our damn near $20 million player, is sitting on the bench, and we're looking for a guy to play the two or the three, and D'Lo's just not even being considered. Like, it's like no, he's just, no. It's just not going to be D'Lo. Because you need athleticism and defense from those positions. Because those are the two guys guarding Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. See what I mean? It's, again, like... It's unfortunate with the way competitive sports work in the sense that like D'Lo does sort of become a target. And it's not fair because D'Lo's having a great season. I looked it up this morning. D'Lo has been the second best pick and roll ball handler in the league this year, minimum 300 possessions. Like I said, I genuinely believe like if you had to hand the keys of an offense to to, to somebody, D'Lo's a better player there for that specific job. But down the stretch of games, it becomes LeBron's team. And it's more important to have a great second side creator who's great off the ball, who's a better defensive player, you go with Austin. Like that, that, that's that's why Darvin Ham keeps closing with Austin in those situations. Hopefully that clarifies that a little bit. Last note on the Lakers, Anthony Davis. Absolutely magnificent in this game, defensively and on the glass. He was murdering the Suns on the offensive glass in particular, but another completely inept second half offensively. 
He talked about the missed five layups in the fourth quarter. He was 10 for 26 from the field. I'll have to look up the numbers when they update, but I bet you he missed 10 shots in the restricted area in this game. And like that to me is the concern is like uh, AD's defensive consistency doesn't get nearly enough attention, but his offensive inconsistency, while it gets too much attention, is a real issue in the sense that like this game's not even close. The Lakers win by 10, 15 points if Anthony Davis can just maintain his baseline level of offensive impactfulness, right? And it's just concerning. That said, I want to do shout out Anthony Davis for the two clutch free throws at the end of the game. I thought that was huge, um, especially since he struggled with clutch free throws over the last couple of years as well. But yeah, like encouraging game for really encouraging game for the Lakers on a bunch of levels outside of that second half run from the Suns, And then that weird thing where Darvin Ham took LeBron and AD out when Kevin Durant and Devin Booker were both on the floor and they promptly went on a 5-0 run. Other than that, I thought they played a consistently pretty great game. That defense is a real problem for a lot of teams. Uh, but I, I think I think this game once again shined a light on some of the roster imbalances this team has to address before the deadline. On the Suns, I'm not going to spend too much time on the Suns because on Thursday, Brendan Clean, who is a friend of mine that I met at the Grateful Dead concert in uh, in Phoenix last year. He is uh, he is a, a member of the Locked On Suns podcast. He is going to come on the show on Thursday. We are going to do like a 45-minute deep dive on all things Suns. Uh, but I do want to hit a couple of specific things. So when Kevin Durant hit that three with 545 left, they scored just four points over the final five minutes. Leading into that final 30 seconds where KD and Devin Booker got a couple buckets. The Suns have been by far the worst fourth quarter team in the league this season. And specifically, they've been 29th in offense. And one of the consistent themes we've seen is they are able to get the ball out of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's hands and rotate out of it without giving up anything too complicated. And in general, I think both Kevin Durant and Devin Booker have shown some signs of fatigue at the end of games just with the offensive load they've had to carry. Now, you the question becomes... Bradley Beal, when he comes back into the situation, does that improve your aggregate ball handling and shooting enough for you guys to kind of make up for that issue? And the answer is probably it's going to help quite a bit. But here's the issue. Once again, you give up 21 offensive rebounds. And the, uh, my major concern is not whether or not Phoenix can score the basketball. Because I think they're going to figure some of this stuff out. It's this. When you play a great team that has quality point of attack defenders to make your guys work. So let me just paint a picture for you. Let's pretend that uh, the Lakers don't make a trade just for the sake of argument. And you have to face them in a playoff series. You're going to get a steady diet of Jared Vanderbilt, Cam Reddish, Max Christie, Torian Prince, all on the ball. At any given moment, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant are going to be facing a big athlete on the ball. Let's say you face Denver. Aaron Gordon's going to be on KD, probably Peyton Watson off the bench. And then it's going to be Contavious Caldwell-Pope on Devin Booker with Christian Brown off the bench. So consistent, excellent perimeter defenders on those two guys all game long. We've seen in a playoff series, specifically in that series, but also we saw a little bit in the Clippers series, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, their efficiency can go down a little bit. Devin Booker was red hot for stretches, but he cooled off in a big way in Game 5 and Game 6 of the Denver series, right? So, in the event that they encounter a great team, and in the West, I'm really only looking for, as far as threats to the Suns, I'm really only looking at the Lakers and Nuggets. 
And when you face those teams and they can consistently make Devin Booker and Kevin Durant work and lessen their impactfulness, can Phoenix then also compete in the physicality areas of the game? That's the question. Can they keep the Lakers off the glass? Can they keep Denver off the glass? Can they match the defensive intensity of a Lakers team? Can they match the post-up efficiency of a Denver team when they're not as impactful offensively as they're capable of against a top-tier set of perimeter defenders? That's my major concern. Because that's the thing is like, right now, it's like if you can get the Suns offense out of whack, they're going to lose which has been an issue consistently for them in the fourth quarters throughout the season, right? Whereas, you know, with the Lakers, it's like they're smoking every layup. Anthony Davis is no show in the second half. They're having rotation issues in terms of who's going to play at the two, but they just locked in like crazy and grabbed all the offensive rebounds and dominated the game defensively, and they were able to win in a rock fight, right? And that's the thing with Denver. You can lessen their efficiency. You can do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, it's like Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., and Nikola Jokic are just going to grab a bunch of offensive rebounds and finish everything at the rim. When things degrade to rock fights, can the Suns win? That's the question. And, and, I'm, and I'm, really, I'm really curious to see if we can see that at some point in the future. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I thought this was yet another incredible in-season tournament game. Obviously the least competitive of the three that we've watched, but it's been everything we could hope for from the standpoint of like the combination of some playoff level intensity as well as the uh, single elimination format, which is really exciting. That was what was kind of hanging over this game. I didn't realize it until today, but I guess the teams that lose in these uh, elimination rounds, particularly the quarterfinal rounds, have to play the other loser from their conference in a regular season game, essentially, right? And so, like, the loser of this game had to travel to Boston to play the Celtics, which is, it's like a significant penalty, right? Like, is 
Boston's a really tough road game to win, right? And so, like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a double loss, at least from the standpoint of your probability of going into Boston and winning against one of the best teams in the league, right? And so, it carried that intensity from the beginning. I thought Giannis, in particular, set the tone early with his level of effort, got a couple of early offensive rebounds. He was just cooking in transition. Julius Randle, I thought, did a decent job on him in the half court. Uh, The Knicks, in general, did a good job walling up in the half court. But in those transition sets, and especially off of the defense, which we're going to talk a lot about here in a minute, because I thought Brooke Lopez, in particular, was the kind of key factor in some of the defensive, uh, the offensive struggles that the Knicks were having. But Giannis was just applying that incessant pressure, getting downhill in transition. And the Dame had this amazing stretch at the end of the second quarter, literally with two and a half minutes left, before halftime, he scored 13 points. He, a, uh, he started picking on Julius Randle and pick and roll, bringing him up into ball screens. First one, Bobby Portis set it. Randle was sitting too far back. Hits a pull-up three while Quentin Grimes is kind of like caught on his left side trying not to foul, right? Very next possession, Julius Randle shows high. Dame splits it. He gets tripped, gets to the foul line, makes two free throws. Then he hits a step-back three on, on, on Jalen Brunson, just that classic Dame left-hand kind of in-and-out dribble step-back. That was point number eight. Then he gets downhill on Julius Randle and pick-and-roll again and gets all the way to the rim and draws a foul. That's 10. And then he hits another step-back three on Julius Randle in pick-and-roll once again coming on off that uh, that ball screen, drawing drawing Julius out to the three-point line, and this time he hit him with the right-handed in-and-out dribble step back. Those, to me, are like the – everybody's got like their kind of thing that they've added to the game of basketball. Obviously, James Harden has a specific step back footwork, but Dame, in my opinion, has the best quick in-and-out step back jump shot in the game. He had one of each of them going both ways to get to 13 points in less than three minutes, sending the Bucks into halftime up by three. And they took over pretty quickly there in the early third quarter. There was a like kind of a fake DHO where Giannis had Dame running off of him and Dame was red hot out of halftime. And so they, uh, Giannis just quick turned and faked the DHO, got all the way to the rim for a layup. Chris Middleton got going in that stretch. Chris Middleton, like again, we're not seeing the, the real top-end scoring pop, but he does look more athletic than I saw him look earlier in the season. And I think that's encouraging. And I think we'll see some of the scoring pop come in the long run. But I thought like the story of the game, because it kind of had a shootout vibe, right? Like Julius Randle played, we're going to talk about him in a minute, but played one of the best games I've ever seen him play, especially in terms of his offensive execution. Obviously, he still has some limitations and Dame was picking on him a lot, as I just mentioned. But it had a shootout vibe. And, you know, the, the announcers on TNT were saying, like, someone's got to take control of this game defensively. And, and it ended up being, namely, Brooke Lopez in the second half, particularly in drop coverage at the rim, shutting off the hard driving lanes for Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly and forcing them into a lot of tough mid-range pull-up jump shots for Julian, uh, for Jalen Brunson and those little floaters for Emmanuel quickly, and he was missing. And both of them ended up having nightmare games. I thought that was kind of like the swing matchups of the game, if I looked at it. And that, like, it's just from the Knicks' perspective, like, you're thinking, how do we get our butts kicked with how well Randall played? And it was three key matchups. I thought Dame outplayed uh, Jalen Brunson, was just significantly more efficient and impactful. I thought campaign in those bench lineups, he came right in in that second quarter, sort of applying downhill rim pressure, and uh, 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 he was hitting floaters, he was driving and kicking to shooters. I thought campaign just outplayed Emmanuel quickly, who really struggled. And then lastly, Brooke Lopez and his overall impact 
you know, making threes, driving closeouts, defending in drop coverage. I just thought he was much better than Mitchell Robinson. And those three massive swings ended up basically being the difference in this game from an offensive perspective. But I want I wanted to shout out Brooke Lopez because I thought specifically his like because he kind of has this unique ability to shut the rim off but all he has to do is kind of take one step forward and go like this and he can do a lot to bother those mid-range shots which I think is what makes him such a uniquely gifted drop coverage big in the NBA super super impressive win from the Milwaukee Bucks one last note on the Bucks that I wanted to hit Malik Beasley's having an incredible season not counting tonight I just wanted to give you guys some perspective as someone who covered him closely with the Lakers last year he shot 28 percent in spot-up situations last year so one of the things the Lakers did which I disagreed with is they ran him off a ton of off-ball action and specifically was like hunting shots for him off the move and he didn't shoot particularly well on those shots and I thought it disrupted his rhythm in his spot-up situations and he was nightmarishly bad in spot-up situations well the Bucks are running him for off-screen shots about one-third as frequent as the Lakers are. The vast majority of Malik Beasley's shots are in closeout situations. And so it's allowing him to kind of really settle into a rhythm in those situations. And he's knocking him down at a significantly higher rate. Just to give you an idea, again, 28% for the Lakers last year, Malik Beasley in spot-up situations. So far for the Bucks this year, 47%. And I think it's invigorated him. You see him, he's doing this like shimmy thing every time, he make a, every time he makes a three. He's a bad defensive player in my opinion, but he's competing on the defensive end, which goes a long way. You guys, your Buck fans know that I am a big believer that that spot in particular is one that the Bucks are going to have to upgrade at some point before the season. That said, with as well, Beasley uh, has been shooting during the regular season. It's been more than adequate for them to be as dominant as they have been on the next front again don't want to overthink it I, I stopped watching this game with about three minutes left to get in here because obviously I'm getting back out there for Lakers Suns but when I stopped watching and the Bucks were up 20 something with three minutes left the Bucks were over 60 percent from the field and over 60 percent from three they were like 22 for 36 from three or something like that now obviously you guys know I believe process leads into results in general I thought at the point of attack they really struggled uh there was really no stretch of the game where they contained the ball well except for the brief stretches there in the first half where I thought Julius Randle did a decent job on Giannis but just in general like sometimes you got to tip the cap like the, the, like Damian Lillard got going with his pull-up jump shots really tough to beat him when he's doing that Giannis hit a three at, uh, at one point in the second half uh it, they they just shot really really well and and sometimes you're going to go into an environment like that and it's just going to be like a buzzsaw and if there was a, a point of encouragement there it's how good Julius Randle looked he's a guy that rushes things a lot doesn't see the floor well usually, tends to overpenetrate, and this was as under control and methodical as I've seen him look offensively at any point in the NBA. I thought that was encouraging. You know, Jalen Brunson's like the one guy I don't worry about on this team. So, like, it's one of those things you get a bad Jalen uh, Brunson night, you get a bad Emmanuel Quickly night, and that ends up swinging things offensively. It turns into this like cascading effect where now the Bucks are getting out in transition and you can't set your defense. And, you know, now they're now they're just playing more energetically, so they're getting to the offensive glass, and it just it just kind of cascades from there. And so I think what m- me watching this game, I, this was more good Bucks than bad Knicks in my opinion. So sometimes you just got to tip the cap. But highly entertaining first game of the in-season tournament tonight. Remaining schedule for this week. Tomorrow we're off completely. Uh, I'm going to be going on a, a buddy's podcast who covers the Thunder. So I'm doing a Thunder podcast tomorrow, but it's not with the volume. Thursday, Sunday. 
Going to just be working with Brendan from Locked On Suns, all Sun stuff. Then on Friday, we're bringing the Nerd Sesh guys on. Or Thursday night, we're covering the semifinals. So that's what? Pacers, Bucks, and Lakers, Pelicans. Covering those games on Thursday night. Then on Friday, we have the Nerd Sesh guys coming on. We're going to bounce around the league. That's the schedule for the rest of this week. Oh, yeah, and then Saturday night for the championship. So that's all I have for today. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys. I will see you on Thursday for a lot of sun stuff. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.